Now tonight, we want to turn to Daniel chapter 3, the third chapter of Daniel. We're studying again the book of Daniel. There are two books in the Bible that tell us much concerning things that are yet to come. Those two books are Daniel and Revelation. Both of these books are written in signs and symbols. Both of these books have been attacked. An attempt has been made to discredit both of them or to say they are too deep, they're too symbolic, they're too prophetic. There's no way we can understand what they're saying. Now, books like that don't need to be ignored. We need to get right into them, find out what God's saying to us. But we do not approach these books and certainly do not approach Daniel with the steps of a presumptuous know-it-all, but rather with a deep humility that asks the Holy Spirit to be our guide. We're all students, and I'm a student, and we study together as the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher, opening the Word of God to us. May we bow together in prayer before we get into this passage. Our Father, we come to Thee tonight in deep humility, recognizing that we're nothing, Thou art everything, that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. We pray Thou wilt give us the truths from God's Word that we need Give us reminders from God's Word. Speak to us from this chapter tonight. Open it that we might see how it points to Jesus. We pray that someone here whose hope is built on a false hope does not really have the assurance that he would go to heaven if he died tonight would open his heart to Jesus that every believer here would determine to serve you and to love you and to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you'll follow along in the Bible. There are 30 verses in this chapter. I want to read them. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits, the breadth of it six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, and judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the king that Nebuchadnezzar had, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at that time that ye hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that, at that, certain, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at the time that ye shall hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. The form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their stockings, their turbans, and their other garment, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. He rose up in haste and spoke and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the, the king, O true, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth from the midst of the fire. The princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, and nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar 
spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and hath changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language who speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a refuse heap because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Last Sunday night, we spoke from this chapter. The focus that night was on that section that deals with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the king's command that they fall down and worship the beast or worship the image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to do it. We're just not going to do it. We serve the Lord God. And so they were threatened with a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O king, our God is able to deliver us. We know that. And he will deliver us out of thine hand. Now that's a special, important phrase. He will deliver us out of thine hand. But whether he delivers us from the fiery furnace or not, you just know this, O king, we will not budge. We're not going to do it. Now, that was the focus last Sunday night. Tonight, we're going to look at that again. But I want us to look at it from the prophetic truths that are revealed in this chapter. First of all, we see the picture of an image. Look in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. Now, what image of gold was this? You remember in chapter 2 that, Paul, that Daniel had interpreted the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, this old king had dreamed a dream, and he couldn't remember what he dreamed. You ever done that? He, he had a strange dream. He couldn't even remember what it was, but he knew it was, it was something tremendous, and it bothered him. And he asked all of the astrologers and the wise men to tell him what his dream was, and they couldn't do it. They said, nobody ever asked for an interpretation like that. Why, you tell us what the dream was, and we'll try to interpret it. And they, he, he said, Nebuchadnezzar said, you're just stalling for time. I know what you're doing. You're just stalling for time. You tell me what I dreamed, and the interpretation, or else you'll all be dead men. The word came to Daniel. Daniel spread the matter before the Lord, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a prayer meeting. And God gave Daniel the dream. And the dream was a dream that had to do with world empires that would stretch from the time of Nebuchadnezzar clear out to the end, when the stone would come and smite the world empires. The head was gold, signifying Babylon. Babylon was the great world empire from the year 606 to 536 B.C. The breast and the arms were of silver, symbolizing the Medo-Persian empire, which reigned from 536 to 332 B.C. The belly and thighs were bronze, representing Greece, ruling from 331 to 146 B.C. The legs were iron, representing the Roman Empire from 146 B.C. to 637 B.C. and on 
1453 B.C. in the east. And then the feet were of iron and clay mixed, symbolizing the remnants of the Roman Empire, that what they had tried to put together wouldn't stick. They had put together all the races and all the nations and had tried to wield it together as one nation. It did not stick. The western part fell apart in about the 6th century. The eastern part fell apart in the 14th century. But there was a remnant of that empire that existed as independent states. France, Spain, Italy, Germany, and many others. And they all were part of the original Roman Empire. And the focus of this prophecy that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar was that one day there would be a revival of that group and they would be ten nations that would form a kingdom. We'll read this when we get into chapters 7 and 9 of Revelation. And then against that ten kingdom power, one day there would come the ruler, the prince, the Messiah, a stone cut out without hands out of the mountain that would crush the world Gentile empires. Now this prophecy of Daniel has to do with the Gentile nations as related to Jerusalem. We're not to think that the first great world empire was Babylon. Anybody who has studied Western civilization knows that there were many other empires before Babylon. There was the Sumerian Empire. There was the Hittite Empire. There was the great Egyptian Empire. There were many other world empires. There was an empire in China. But the reason Daniel focuses in on these four world empires has to do with the city of Jerusalem. It was not until the time of Babylon that Jerusalem, God's holy city, was overrun with the Gentiles. And from the time Nebuchadnezzar marched into Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and sacked the city and burned the walls and burned the temple and destroyed the whole city, until from that time until 1967, the Gentile nations trotted down the city of Jerusalem. I went to Jerusalem in 1966. The city was divided like Berlin is divided. There was a wall. Some of you were there at that time. There was, there's a wall through Jerusalem. There's a special gate called the Mendelbaum Gate. And when you went from one part of Jerusalem to the other, the bus would take you up there. You'd pick up all your luggage and go across what they called no man's land through the Mendelbaum Gate. And there were men, soldiers, up in the towers with machine guns trained on you. You carried your luggage one by one, showed your passport, and went across to the other part of Jerusalem. All that disappeared when the Jews marched into East Jerusalem, and East Jerusalem fell to the Jews 
And for the first time since 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem was under Jewish control again. God speaks of the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles has to do with the Gentiles trotting down the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles from 586 to 1967. No wonder Begin and the others are resisting even to the death the allowing of Jerusalem to ever be divided again. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm the son of a prophet. And I'm not a specialist. But if I read the Scripture correctly, if this is the time of the end of the times of the Gentiles, then the Jews are going to keep Jerusalem. If there is another battle over Jerusalem, it will usher in what is called in the Scripture the time of Jacob's trouble. Now all of this is the background for the third chapter of Daniel. Let's go a little further. Notice the image of gold. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, the breadth of it six cubits. I believe this image of gold was based on what, what Nebuchadnezzar had seen in chapter 2 in that dream. Notice that this is a strange image. We're not even told that it's the image of a man. Many Bible scholars believe that it is. But it was some kind of a big image, a hundred feet tall and ten feet wide. What a strange measurement. And the image was placed out on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. I believe it was built to prove that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would not pass away. Now somehow, Daniel must have been away from the kingdom at this time. According to chapter 2, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had been clo- become close friends, and Daniel was promoted to be an authority in the kingdom of Babylon. But maybe he was out somewhere in one of the provinces, not very close to Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar made this kind of decision to build that kind of image. I think if he had listened to Daniel, he wouldn't have done it. But he did it, and he made the edict that everybody would have to bow before that image of gold. I think Nebuchadnezzar's heart troubled him. He heard about the other world empires that would come. He recognized that his was the head of gold, that all the other metals were inferior to gold. So he determined to build an empire and a nation that would never pass away and that everybody would have to bow and worship before him. It was built to bolster his pride. But we can never set ourselves against the Lord. No matter what we feel, and no matter how we feel threatened, we can never try to do something in our own strength, in our own power, that is obviously against the will of God and the plan of God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Now the next thing we want to see is the portrait of an anchor. First of all, we looked at the picture of an image, but look at the portrait of an anchor. 
Note the king's decree, verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, suck, uh, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and incidentally, how many instruments of music is that? That's six. You remember that the number of man is always six. Always six. And no matter how expanded that six becomes, it's still six. We read in Revelation that the number of the beast is six, sixty-six, six cubed. Man, to his highest ability, all that man could ever be, be still man, one short of God. The signature for God is seven, and maturity is seven. And when you hear the sound of these musics, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then all the people bowed and scraped. They went before the image of the king, if indeed it was the image of Nebuchadnezzar. It was owned by him. It was proclaimed by him. It may have been his very image. And they all bowed. They all scraped. But beginning in verse 8, we read about some men who would not bow nor budge before this decree because they had convictions. They knew what was right and what was wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, we're facing in our world some real problems when those who care little about spiritual truths and know practically nothing about God's plan for our lives. And they go about telling us to follow the plan of the world. Notice in verse 6 again. Whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. We have lived in ages gone by where men have tried this very same thing. That golden image on the plains of Dura is only a symbol, only an example of images that have been set up for men to worship. There was a time when Adolf Hitler ruled Europe. Everywhere he ruled, there was that goose step, and people went, Heil Hitler, and they hiled the Fuhrer. And if you didn't do it, you were in serious trouble. There was a time in Russia when everybody bowed before Stalin. They had pictures of Stalin all over Russia and in the schools, and they would stand in the morning and they would look and have a moment of silence as they all looked at Joseph Stalin's picture. Today, if you should go to Moscow, and some of you have been there, you would find down in the Kremlin a long line. They tell us that that line begins early in the morning continues all through the day. It's always a long, long line. What are they doing? 
Is it a soup line? Is it a place where they get their government checks? No. That long line is where people go by to look at the body of linen lying in a glass casket in the Kremlin. Lenin is the hero of communism. All over the communist world, people must bow and scrape before the teachings of Lenin. Now there's coming a day when the world will face this again. There's going to be a beast arise. His name in the scripture is called the Antichrist. And he will speak great swelling words against the Almighty. And he will lead an insurrection against God. And anybody that will not receive his number either in their forehead or in their hand or arm or wrist will be killed. We're not there yet, but that day is fast approaching. I suppose there's always been peer pressure, but I'm not sure there's ever been the degree of peer pressure there is today. And one of the greatest problems that young people face today is the problem of their own associates. I don't know how many times I've heard some young person say, well, I can't do this because I wouldn't have any friends. Or I can't take this kind of stand because I wouldn't have any friends. Everybody's doing it. I want to talk to you out of my heart for just a minute, young people, listen, and older people too. We don't have to do something because everybody's doing it. And we must, in this age, prepare our hearts to take some stands that we know are godly and biblical and scriptural and spiritual, no matter what the whole world does. If we don't learn that, then we'll never be prepared for what will happen as we approach the tribulation period. There's some wonderful truth, uh, teachings in the Word of God concerning the second coming of Jesus. I believe with all my heart that the Word of God teaches the world is getting darker and darker and darker. It's not getting any better. It's getting dark. It's going to get more wicked. It's going to be more widespread sin. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be a lot of knowledge. The Bible says knowledge will increase. This will be an age of unparalleled opportunity, of unparalleled invention, unparalleled discoveries, unparalleled knowledge. But with all that knowledge and all the discoveries, and everything we know, we will know less and less spiritually. And it's going to get darker. You'll see it. I believe the Scripture teaches that before the tribulation, Jesus is going to come. And he's going to rescue us, going to lift us out. Do you remember when Sodom and Gomorrah were so dark? God said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Abraham tried to Jew God down. He tried to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. God looked beyond his words and found out what he wanted, and he sent angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah and delivered Lot out of the city before the time bombs fell. It may have been the first atomic bomb fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. Terrible mushroom crowd, cloud may have come up from those cities of destruction, turned them into salt. They're at the foot of the salt sea, the Dead Sea today. Nothing can live in that salt sea. I believe Jesus will come and take us out before the terrible tribulation is unfolded. But during that awful tribulation called the time of Jacob's trouble, the Jews are going to be under an awful pressure again. And the whole world is going to be inflamed as the Antichrist reigns and rules supreme. And then Jesus is going to come with 10,000 of his saints and put an end to all that and establish his millennial kingdom. Now listen, I believe that. But I'm not sure we can tell how much of the prelude to the tribulation we may have to go through. They talk today about pre-tribulation, pre-millennialists, post-tribulation, pre-millennialists, mid-tribulation, pre-millennialists, and all that. I don't know about all those things. I just believe what the Word says. But I want to tell you, if the Lord takes us out before the awful tribulation, remember how a storm comes it doesn't come all at one time. You begin to sense the storm coming. The winds change. The humidity changes. The atmosphere changes. The trees begin to blow in the wind. The clouds are dark. And you begin to feel a forbearing in your heart or forbidding. You just wonder what's going to happen. And all of this before the storm comes. That's the reason they're able to tell you several days ahead of time about these hurricanes that come. They know ahead of time. Now, I do not know how much of the headwinds we'll have to go through, but I'm convinced we'll go through some of them. Those headwinds of the tribulation are heading this way tonight. We're seeing it over and over again right here in America, we'll see more of it. The world is seeing more of it. If we do not prepare ourselves to stand, even when our peers knuckle, and the people all around us yield to the pressures of the times, then we're not going to be able to stand either. And I believe today God is calling out an elect group who will be willing, having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, re recognizing that our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, that our enemies are not men and women. Our enemies are the devil and his demons. And sometimes the devil moves in on people causes them to behave in such ways that would take us down the drain spiritually. Now, young people, there's a burden on my heart, and there has been for a long time, that God would give spiritual strength to young people. 
to stand. You are pressured by more temptations than the generations gone by ever dreamed. I would say sitting in this room tonight are teenagers who face unbelievable temptations that your parents sitting in the same room don't even realize you face. You know it. They don't know it. You know it. How are you going to deal with it? What will you do with it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced that. Everybody else was bowing before the image. When those musical instruments started up, everybody got in on the act. When the musical instruments today start up, nearly everybody gets in on the act. They don't stop to wonder what kind of music is it. What's it going to do to me? How's it going to affect me mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically? They don't stop to think of that. They just rush right into it. Mom and dad don't understand it. They think when a preacher takes a stand about it, he's an old square, old fuddy-duddy, doesn't know what he's doing, and you cooperate with them by saying that same thing when you really know better. You know what's happening in your own heart. You know what happens in your own emotions. You know what it leads to. You know what your other kids are doing. But still you do it. Why? Because you haven't got the fortitude of a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand up against the tide. If there's ever been a day when we need young men, young women who can stem the tide, who will take stands and will say, here I stand, God being my helper, I'll not budge. We need them today. And as we approach the end of the age, we'll need it more and more and more. The dark clouds are coming. The storm is on the horizon. The set scene is set. What will you do? Some of you moms and dads don't understand this at all. You let your kids have all that trashy music right in your own home. And you say, well, that's nobody's business. That's my kids' business. Brother, it's your business as long as they live in your home. It's your business. You have a, a say in the matter. I don't believe you'd let a rattlesnake come into your home and just because your teenage son wanted a rattlesnake. One day in our church service, we were having a revival meeting, and I came out here before the service started. It was over here on this side, and there was a boy that had a snake in his pocket right here in this church. And you think I was going to let that guy sit there with that snake all the way through and say, well, I guess that's his business. Well, that's his little old heart. He doesn't know any better. And he just wants to, I don't want to inhibit him. He's be all right. Just fasten your button up a little bit. It'll be okay. I didn't do any such thing. I went and got two men. I said, you get that guy out of here. <laughs> I didn't want to get around that snake. <laughs> now, you know, when we've got rattlesnakes all around us, it is our business to deal with it. Moms and dads, help your teenagers with this thing. And young people, let God give you some gumption. Let God give you some fortitude. Let, let the Holy Spirit give you some strength to stand, having done all to stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King, we know you built that image out there. And we appreciate the fact, you see, they've been elevated by the Nebuchadnezzar, by the king. While they were his henchmen. They had been, after chapter 2, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were all four princes in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel was the prime minister, and these other three were princes. They were somebodies. 
And they said, Nebuchadnezzar, we appreciate you. And we like your friendship. And we appreciate your letting us be princes in this province, but we're not going to budge. Uh, we serve the Lord God, and we're not going to bow before your image. You can play all the music all you want all day long. We're not going to bow. We're just not going to do it. And the king was furious. His visage was changed. He was mad. He said, we're going to heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. And if you are ready to change your mind, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you just go on and bow before the image. Now, somebody probably came along and said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you don't have to mean it. It's just a word. It's just an action. Now, your, your heart, God will understand this thing. You see, God knows your heart, and, and he will understand. You. you just bow your body, and God will understand that you're not bowing your heart. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no. We're not even going to bow our body because our body belongs to God. It makes a difference what you do with your body, friend. You give your body to harlots, you become part with them. You give your body to sex sins, you become part of that. You give your body to abuse through drugs and liquor, you become part of that. It makes a difference. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, oh, I'm not going to do it. We refuse. And then they said, O oh, king, uh, our God is able to deliver us. We know that. Now, king, we're not positive that God wants to deliver us. Listen, God may let us go through some severe testings. Remember that. There may be some tough times coming to your life. There may be some rough sledging ahead. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, O king, we're not really positive that God will deliver us. We know he can. We know it's within his realm. He's the God of this world. We know he can. But just in case he doesn't, we want to go on record ahead of time just telling you we're still not going to budge. Now, Nebuchadnezzar never met anybody like that before. And I want to tell you, the world hasn't either. The world is used to, wrecking, to dealing with people who will budge, who will yield, who cannot endure such pressure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just stood. I wonder if we've got a Shadrach here tonight. I wonder if we've got an Abednego here tonight. I wonder if we've got a Meshach here tonight. Somebody who will say, I'm going to stand. I don't care what, the, what it is, I'm going to stand. And so they heated the furnace. And you know the story. They cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that fiery furnace, and the men that cast them in there, the furnace was so hot, they were slain by the, by the flames and the heat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just started walking around right in the middle of the flames, having a good time. You know why they were having such a good time? Jesus was there. Jesus was there. Oh, my. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever been in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a burden, in the midst of a terrible problem, and somehow Jesus began to whisper peace to your heart? You were going through the fire. You were going through the furnace. Everything on the outside looked dark. But you had a quietness in your soul because Jesus was there.
That's the way it was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's the way it'll be with you when you serve the Lord. And your heart's right with God, no matter what they say on the outside. You know why Jesus was able to stay so calm? You know, they said every matter of evil against him, they could. They called him an illegitimate bastard. They said that Jesus was a seditionist. They said he was stirring up strife, trying to overcome the Roman government. They said he was avoiding taxes. He wouldn't give his tax money. They said he was a wine-bibbler. They said every evil, ugly thing against the Lord. It didn't disturb his peace. He just quietly went on walking because he had the presence of God inside. Do you have that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that. And inside that fiery furnace, and listen, some of you are facing furnaces of fire. Some of you have had problems in your home, You've had problems in your business. You've had some financial reverses. You've had some tough times. You've had times when people that you relied upon and counted to be your dearest friends have turned their back on you and resented you and resisted you. How do you deal with that? You can go visit a psychiatrist. You can walk the floor at night and pull your hair out and take bottles of medicine. Or you can take it all to Jesus.